Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Veterans in Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, and today our special guest joining us is Mr. Kobe Dillard. Kobe, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you doing? Great, great. Thanks for uh, being on the show, and I can't wait to get into this episode and and have you share everything with the listeners and everything that you've been up to and some of your experiences. So welcome. Thanks for having me. Toby, uh, can you tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself, sir? So I am currently the Director of Military and Veterans Affairs at the University of Texas at Tyler. I have been working in higher ed for, let me see, this is going on 11 years now. I started as a work study at my community college and just kind of wound my way through the system, different institutions, now in Texas, but I've worked in California and spent a lot of time in Virginia. So been a little bit of everywhere, especially over the last three years. Wow, wow, very exciting, very exciting, sir. So um, given your experience in the military, which we're gonna talk about, and you know, your experience uh, of 11 years in higher ed and seeing multiple institutions, you know, in different, different areas of the United States. Can you share with the listeners uh, what you see that veterans are doing well currently in higher education? You know, thinking back to my own experiences and those that I've seen out of my students, student veteran population is very resilient, very strong. They're very focused, they're dedicated, they're gonna come, they, these are the students who are gonna come in, they're going to do their assignments, they're gonna take the leadership in the classroom, they're gonna take ownership of their academic experience. That's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, I have not seen, I've seen military students struggle, but I've also seen them say, you know, I know why I'm struggling, here's my plan to get out of it. And I think that's what I enjoy the best about working with this specific population. There's always that plan. Even when things kind of start to fall apart, generally they know why, or once it's brought to their attention, okay, I'm on top of it, here's my plan. That's one of the things that I enjoy the most about the population. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, I, there's something to be said for uh, not only the plan, but the, the proactive nature usually in initiating that plan, right? <laughs> it's, it's a, I see that a lot. Some of the students will come and say, you know, this is going to be a problem. I already know that it's a problem. Here's what I'm going to do about it. Okay, well, I'm just your check and everything's good. Go do what you know you have to do. <laughs> right, 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 right. Awesome. So now tell me something on the flip side of that. What's something that uh, veterans could do better in higher education? Definitely could ask for support more. You know, we as veterans, we're proud. We come out of a culture that does not exactly pride itself on asking for help. So with some students, they'll get into that bad spot and it's okay. I knew this was coming. Here's my plan. Okay, your plan's good. 
let's talk about what happens if you find this yourself in this situation again. Let's talk about some of those proactive steps that you can take beforehand. And, you know, at the end of the day, just come see me. Ask the question. Ask your professor. Ask another student veteran who's in your class. But that's not something we do very well because, you know, we're proud as veterans. We want to keep everything moving. We're used to working within a team. And once that team's gone, we'll work by ourselves if we have to. So trying to shake that mindset, even professionally, I find myself still trying to do it. And I still see it in my students, too. Right. And, and you know, it it's it's so cultural and you know we, we get it's so like hyper cultural i should say because we're, we're immersed into it so much 24 hours a day you know something's wrong you know suck it up something's wrong you need uh to be hydrated better and take your motrin right take your motrin change your socks that's the solution right. to everything well, there's right. a couple more things as well absolutely so Kobe, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what motivated you to join the military, uh, what branch you were in, and what you did while you were serving in the military? Sure. So I spent six years in the Navy from 2000 to 2006. I was the young joke with my students now I will probably die behind someone that's what it feels like I am the person who likes to handle things on the administrative end kind of stay in the background um, spent my first three years in the Navy on the USS Constellation out in San Diego hey Kobe um, I've and lost you a couple a times here in Guantanamo Bay Right, hold on. Let's uh, let's let's yeah. You keep you keep knocking out, uh, and so we lost a lot of that story. You want to let's try it. Let's try at least try one more time, uh, if you don't mind. We'll start back from the beginning because you cut out for a long time in two different sections. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, Kobe, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, why you joined the military, what you what motivated you to join the military, what branch you're in, and what you did when you served? Sure. So, I actually joined the Navy after my first college experience, which was absolutely horrible. I generally don't talk about it much. It was pretty bad. But Went in as a yeoman, spent six years in the Navy from 2000 to 2006, San Diego, California on the USS Constellation, Virginia Beach, Virginia at a F-18 training squadron, and then 2005 spent the year down in Guantanamo Bay. Really enjoyed the experience, got to visit a lot of different places overseas. My ship was, take back to the beginning of the Iraq War, shock and awe was mostly flown off of my ship back in back in March of 2003. And from there, left the Navy in 2006, moved to D.C. for a bit, worked up there, and then eventually found myself unemployed with a family and decided to go back to school. Ah, okay. So, so your time in the military, so you had six years, 
and you got to do all these things, but then when it was time to transition, uh, you found yourself unemployed. So what was that transition like? Did, did you have anything in mind? Were you just happy to get out of the Navy? What, what was that situation like? So my transition experience, and I'm glad it's gotten so much better because it allows me to say this, my transition experience was non-existent. I went to TAP class and I already had a job lined up as a civilian and the chief who ran the class said, oh, you already have your job, signed off my paper. I walked out the door with no education on anything, moved up to DC and thought life was good. So that was my transition out of the Navy. <laughs> wow, wow. But you know, I mean, so often we hear that tap story, you know, and, and it's so similar. Um, you know, somebody's just checking the box or somebody's like, oh, you don't have to take this seriously. I'll sign off on your paperwork or, you know, the class is so boring. It's like death by PowerPoint. And so everyone checks out. It, it's like, uh, it's sad, but we, you know, people like you, people like me, we're not alone because <laughs> it pops up so often, unfortunately. But like you mentioned, it's uh, getting better. I don't, I don't think it's universally better. And I think there are still things we can do, but it's definitely has come a long way since uh, what it was in the past. I tell that story to my students now and they are completely shocked. They're like, wait, no one went over your GI Bill. No one went over your resume. No, I had to learn all of that on my own, which is why I'm going to help you with it. Right, 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 right. So um, you're in D.C. And, and you find yourself with a little employment gap and you decide that you're going to uh, go back to school at this point, right? So I actually worked in D.C. for about three years. So I had different jobs as a contractor, different, different jobs as a um I actually worked for the VA at one point in headquarters. And at the time, so it gets me to about 2008, 2000, working in Virginia, back and forth every day, three to four hours on the road each day, and got to be entirely too much. And at that point, I said, you know, this, this doesn't work for me, doesn't work for the small family I had at that point. My daughter was born in 2009 and I ended up taking a weird detour from the civilian employment route. Ended up working on a political campaign in 2009 for a gentleman named Bob McDonald who was governor of Virginia and I was responsible for his veterans coalition and his African-American coalition. So did that for 2009. Late 2000. Late 2009, early 2010, that campaign ended, and I found myself gainfully unemployed. I like to joke about it and kind of remembered, hey, there's this GI Bill thing, and post 9-11 had just gotten signed, and I said, you know, let me take advantage of it and see where it could lead me. Okay, okay, and I mean, that's... That's the interesting thing, and you're you're the second guest so far that has had a stint, uh, not only in the military and higher ed, but also in the political realm. And it, it seems like, uh, you know, those the jobs in uh, politics and helping support, they're going to have an expiration date, right? Um, whether someone loses or wins in time, there's going to be an expiration date. And so this prompted you to, to decide to 
use your GI Bill. And did you know what you wanted to do? Did you, did you think, oh, well, I might do something political science related or what was your route? So I started at Tidewater Community College in Virginia Beach, actually okay. in Norfolk, Virginia. That's a Virginia Beach later, but started in Norfolk, Virginia, came in. I said, you know, I have this GI Bill. I don't know what to do with it. I want to ultimately get a bachelor's degree in political science. And so I was told, you know, social science is probably the best route for you. And I was talking to the lady who was in charge of that office, Ms. Linda Jacobs, retired Marine Dunny. And she said, you know, the VA has this work study program. Okay, I need a job. What would I be doing? And it's right. she said, just helping out other student veterans in the office. And I said, you know, okay, that seems to work. Sign me up. Gave her my, at that point, three-page long resume with everywhere I had worked and everything I had done in the Navy. And she hired me. And so went home, told my girlfriend, then at the time, I have a job and I'm going back to school. And she looks at me with far two kids and says, okay, that's great. And how are we going to pay the bill? I said, you know, just hold on. We'll, we'll get to that. That's kind of how I started. Okay. Interesting. So really, I mean, a lot of what you were doing in your undergrad, at least as far as a job, right, is, is helping uh, lead and pave the way to what you're doing uh, in contemporary times, right? Yes, my the way I tell the story is I walked off the street into higher education because that's about how it happened. And that's crazy because that never happens like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because so many people are like, how do I get into higher ed? And, you know, I, I, I hate to. <laughs> so, um, so you, you start this, you know, social science degree and talk to us about that. What, what, what was that like for you and what did you end up majoring in? And, um, you know, were there entities on campus outside of this office? that could connect you to people and resources? What was that whole experience like transitioning now onto campus? So my classes were great. I had a great class experience. I was the student who met my GI Bill requirement. I had one class. In the veterans office and at the time, the office was still relatively new. So a lot of those resources and support that we see for students now, we were just really starting to begin those in 20, 2010, 2011, when I first started there. So a lot of that groundwork we did in that office. My second year there, I actually managed to dive back into my political side a bit, get elected student government president. So I was the SGA president at my campus, also ended up holding vice vice president role in what was then called the Military and Veteran Student Association. So it was the precursor on campus to what would become 
SBA once SBA took on a lot bigger role in organizing student veterans on campus. And in 2011, so right before I graduated, I had transitioned from being work study to being a part-time employee. Graduated in 2012 with my associate in social sciences and actually got hired full-time by my college to be a academic advisor and be a certifying official at another one of our campuses in Chesapeake. So while I was, I took a little break from school from 2013 to 20, actually, sorry, 2012 to 2013. And then I started back up with my bachelor's at Norfolk State University in a different program called Interdisciplinary Studies. So it let me take advantage of my political science credits that I had and that by the time I got to that point, I said, you know, I've got a pretty good thing going here in higher education. Maybe I want to be a counselor. So my concentrations under my degree are political science, sociology, and psychology. And I took those last two thinking I might begin to swing towards a counselor's route. Okay, very interesting. Very interesting. And interdisciplinary studies helped you kind of like put all those together, right? Right. It helped me put all of that together and still do a lot of focus in what I was doing. Um, my senior thesis project, I actually wrote a thesis on advising student veterans and different models that institutions could use to better advise their student veterans. So that ended up being my senior project, graduated from Norfolk State in 2015 and went over to Regent University, I had figured out, okay, I want to do counseling, but I am too old and the route to licensure is entirely too long. So they had a non-licensure counseling program called Human Services Counseling. It was about a year program, took me a year and a half, but that's why I ended up getting my master's degree in. Okay, all right. And so now I'm seeing, man, this all this comes together, right? Because uh, you've got elements from your master's, elements from your bachelor's, your experience in the Navy, uh, and your work in the office that uh, started, you know, all this. I mean, it's, it really, really is, is very clear. So at what point, Kobe, did you decide or what, what opportunity or what happened where you were like, okay, I, I want to work with veterans full time? I think it really happened back in 2012 when I first got my full-time position. I went from our Chesapeake campus to our Virginia Beach campus in 2015. So right as I was finishing up my bachelor's degree, I went took a full-time leap into academic advising, still working with military-affiliated students, but just strictly on the academic advising role. 2016, I left TCC and went over to Regent University, so there's a lot of back and forth between my schools here. Ended up over at Regent University also as an advisor. Was there for about nine months, and in early 2017, they opened up a position called the Veterans Resource Liaison, and it was based on a grant that the um, Commonwealth of Virginia had put out, and I applied for that position ended up getting it and ended up filling a counseling type role back at the um, Virginia Beach campus of TCC. Most of what my work there was around 
student veterans and military dependents who are on academic probation, looking at not just how academically they landed there, but what life experiences they had and were experiencing that led them to probation, getting all, helping them solve all of those problems, helping with the academic end, and then returning back to the campus. Okay, here's a student who now knows what to do, who to ask, where to get help, what's available. They're on a lot more stable footing. And we were able to, I think the number was about 80% of the students at that campus who landed on probation, we were able to pull back into good academic standards. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. That's amazing. And uh, I really love that when you guys were, were working with these students and coming up with your plan of action that uh, it wasn't just academic, right? That you're looking at the individual holistically and looking at all these other things in their life. Um, you know, I think often that can be overlooked. We, we tend to isolate, oh, grades, well, it must be only at school. Right. Right. So I would have a student sit with me and I say, OK, I'm looking at your grades. What's going on? Oh, I've got a lot going on. OK, what does that mean? Right. Does that mean a lot going on in the classroom? Is there a lot going on at home? And that the other pieces of the story would slowly start to come out. I've got a lot going on, could be anything from, you know, I just got out, I'm still trying to find myself, I've got three kids at home, still trying to make these numbers work under the GI Bill, it could have been a dependent who was, you know, I'm in this particular academic program because my parents wanted me to be, and it's their GI Bill, and it's not what I want to do with my life, so that I've got a lot going on, turned into a lot of different things that we were able to address helping some of those dependents have some of those, hey, you're, you're 18, 19 now, you're an adult. You have to have some of these conversations with your parents and even with the veterans just saying, okay, you know, it's not, like, not going to be like this forever. You will figure this out. You'll find your footing again. You'll find that tribe, that group of people to help support you through this. And for the one was absolutely struggling, ended up not making it through school, but I saw her later on, just inadvertently ran into her out of town, out in town. She said, you know, thanks to you, I'm in a lot better place. Hey, that's a win. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it sounds like from those percentages, you had a lot of wins. Uh, that speaks volumes, you know, that you're able to turn around someone's complete academic situation by understanding what was going on. Yeah, we did. We took a lot of outside of the office walks where I would just take out my name tag and we would just walk and talk. And then I'd hear it all and then say, I say, okay, when we go back in here, we're going to come up with a plan. And that's what we did. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, real fast, I want to note, uh, we, we do have an international listener base. And, and for those international listeners, where this area where Kobe's describing, so when he's saying, you know, Tidewater area, Nor Norfolk, um, all these areas, you, you've got to understand, probably the school's population is very military connected heavy, because this area of the United States 
has many, 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 many bases, uh, many naval bases, army bases. This area of Virginia is just very highly populated. So I, I would say your, your population of military connected students were high at all of your universities, right? It was very high, the way I explained it to people in Texas and when I went to California is if you drew a circle around Hampton Roads, Virginia, you're circling at least 10 bases. That, comes in, that will come into play a little bit later on in my story when I talk about leaving a huge military area and going to middle of nowheres. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And so um, from this area in Virginia, your next move is... Is it California? Santa Barbara, California. Yeah. Okay. A very interesting story. <laughs> so back in 20, it was late 2017, I saw this job coordinator for military and veteran services at University of California, Santa Barbara. Just graduated with my master's degree. And I said, oh, this would be something really cool to do. They'll never hire me. I'm in Virginia. But, you know, I looked at it pop up in my email for about a month. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to apply for this. And my wife, at, my wife now, she said, okay, but we're not moving to California. And I said, oh, okay, it's fine. Inter application's not going to cost me anything. They're not going to hire me anyway. So I applied for this job. And then in... November, right before Veterans Day, I got a call to do a brief five-minute phone interview, very brief. And I said, you know, this still isn't costing me anything at this point. No one is asking me to do anything. So let's do the phone interview and let's see what happens. And Mr. says, okay, you can do the phone interview, but that's it. Don't worry. They're still not going to hire me from Virginia. There's an internal candidate somewhere. Did the phone interview. Right before my birthday in December, I get a phone call from the um, associate dean of students. We'd like to have you come out for an in-person interview. Okay, this is right close to my birthday. I've got two kids, very close to Christmas. There's no way I'm gonna be able to afford to fly to California. We want to fly you out here. Oh crap. <laughs> that changes things, right? That wasn't supposed to happen. So <laughs> I asked him, hey, can you hold on for a second? Let me just call my wife and let me let her know. I call her and she hangs up the phone on me. She's completely upset because now this thing is starting. She tells me why later on. So I go to California in January of 2018, right before MLK Day, go out, do the interview seemed pretty good and at that point you know I that was the point where I said to myself you know this is my career now this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life even if I don't get this job because at that point I said I gotta go all the way back to Virginia they're, they're not going to hire me from way over in Virginia I get back the MLK holiday passes that Wednesday. I get a phone call. Yeah, we're going to start checking your references. Now I've got to explain my, to my wife that this job that we did not think was going to happen at all is now a thing. It's happening. So, it's happening. So I got <laughs> getting that job. They were very accommodating, knowing I was coming from across the country. 
Um, February 1st, we kind of agreed to everything. I didn't get out. We didn't get out to UCSB until July after school had ended and our daughter's dance competition season had ended. So July 17th, we packed up our truck and drove across the country to Santa Barbara, California. So you talk about that large military area in Hampton Roads, none of that's in Santa Barbara. <laughs> right, right. The right, closest so. thing Vandenberg Air Force Base, which is about 45 minutes north, but that's it. So what what is the school's population like, or what was it like at the time when you were there? 23,000 students, about four to 500 military affiliates. Okay. And a lot of that, so when I got there, it was, okay, we have about 200 veterans. What about dependents? Um, besides the ones using the GI Bill, we're not sure. So immediately there was that shift in language. Let's not just talk about the veterans. Let's talk about the dependents as well. Let's talk about the two to three active duty students we have here pursuing graduate degrees. That's all one big group. And that was probably the easiest part of the transition there. Coming from a big military area, you know, you talk a certain way, you speak a certain way, you carry out your work a certain way that once you get out of that bubble, it doesn't fly very well. So initially I came in with that very military mindset. We need this. Where is it? Let's get it done. Yeah, that's not how Santa Barbara, California works. How <laughs> anywhere works. It is a very laid back, relaxed area. And it took me about six months to finally calm myself down and figure that out. So in that six months, as you're calming down, uh, what was the rest of the time like? You know, after that, did you did you find a groove or was it one of those things where you're constantly reminding yourself, like, okay, take it down a notch, <laughs> you know? It got to the point where very quickly people realized they had to tell me to take it down a notch because I did not know how to do it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a good leadership group. You know, I remember a discussion I had when I first got there. And of course, coming out of my work with students on probation, I have this student who's telling me, you know, I have all these things going on, but I want to stay in my degree program. So I talked to his advisor and he said, and I said, he wants to stay in his program. The advisor says, he needs to change his degree. He's been struggling here for a while. He wants to stay in his program. How do we keep him in his program? Toby, you're the coordinator. You're not an advisor. I know that's where you just left from. Let me do my job. After I, after about 30 minutes when I got over being offended, I was like, you know, she's right. As I move up, this is, I'm not supposed to be in the weeds of everything. Let me let her do her thing. And she actually, student actually ended up staying another semester, did really well, and then ended up going back home. But that's where I started to learn 
you know, if I learned about military higher ed in Virginia, Santa Barbara was where I learned, okay, this is what higher education is really like as a career field. Because I did I didn't take classes in that. Again, I walked in off the street into something that was very specialized and I honestly thought, you know, that's how the world works. It is not how the world works at all. <laughs> right. So you get a taste for this uh, for this reality of higher education and, and your time in Santa Barbara. And so how, what was the transition like then from Santa Barbara, California to Texas? So I had a friend on Facebook who had told me, you know, we're getting ready to hire this for this position. It's brand new. And we had been connecting on Facebook for a while. He said, I think you'd be good for this. This was January of 2020. And I, I wasn't really looking to leave at that point, but I said, okay, I will give it a shot and we'll see what happens. Knowing that my track record with my family of giving things a shot, seeing what happens usually ends up turning to a big move somewhere. <laughs> and I said, you know, we'll just, so I had applied for the position. I actually had reached out to the dean ahead of time. And I said, you know, this is a brand new position. I'm coming in with about 10 years of experience at this point. I may be overqualified. I don't know. And he said, well, just go ahead and apply anyway. So I applied, did a initial interview in March while the world was shutting down. And then COVID takes over. Everything goes on pause for a while. California is completely shut down. All of my students are scattered and gone back home. And in June of 2020, I get a random phone call. Okay, we're restarting this search. And I had applied for this position there and another one at a community college in Maryland. Just kind of thinking, you know, if I am going to go somewhere, maybe it's better to go back home. Both of those positions got put on hold and University of Texas at Tyler opened theirs back up first. So went through the interview process with them ran the numbers. Texas is a lot less expensive than California is, especially with two growing children. And so we ended up packing up a smaller SUV at that point, shipping our stuff to Texas. And July 27th of last year, we landed in Tyler, Texas, the literal middle of nowhere. I am about an hour and a half from Dallas on one end, an hour and a half from Shreveport on the other. And we're just there. When we got there, that was kind of looked around and I'll, I'll say this, it was like, you know, we were in Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Santa Barbara, California. How the hell did we end up in Tyler, Texas? I don't even know where this is on a map, <laughs> but it's been great so far. <laughs> well, and you know, okay, so one, one thing is like you mentioned, the cost of living, right? And it seems like uh, that with a couple other things are bringing most of California to Texas anyway. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> um, now, so, but there's gonna be a, a stark difference I'm imagining between uh, University of Texas at Tyler and what you experience at Santa Barbara as far as the military connected population, am I, am I right? 
There is and there isn't. Okay. There are more. We have about five to six hundred military affiliated students. The veterans are, you know, whereas in California, some of the veterans were a bit more laid back with their veteran status. My group of veterans here in Texas, you know that they are veterans. They have no problem telling you. Good, bad, or indifferent, they will let you know. <laughs> right. So that's Other than that, there's not a whole lot. My students who are dependents, they're still trying to find their way and find their place in our center, which is something we experienced in California as well, trying to bring them in saying, hey, you're part of this community as well. I definitely know that had I not gone through UC Santa Barbara and the University of California system, which has been around forever and actually gotten the experience of what higher education truly is, I don't think I would have I don't think I could have been nearly as successful as at UT Tyler as I have been. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of that military mindset of mine had to go away. And I had to cross the country to do it. But now coming back into a role where I'm essentially more rebuilding the center and rebuilding the community that had kind of fallen apart. Now that I know, okay, here's the military side. So I can talk to my veterans in that tone of voice when they need it. I can kind of find the middle ground between that tone and a more supportive tone with some of my descendants. But I also don't have to go off charging windmills, as my coordinator says. You know, he always says, <laughs> have fun storming castle. I'm not storming the castle. I'm going to go have a discussion with somebody. We're going to work this out. And, you know, being at UCSB taught me that. You don't have to always go in with the, where is this? Give me this. I need this now. You go in with that more, okay, here's our problem. How can we as an institution fix it? I can't solve this one on my own. How do? How are we going to fix this together? And it's gotten us to do a lot of good stuff over my first year being there. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love hearing that. And it's so, so right. You know, it's so, so true. You got to slow down for higher education and uh, always, but more so now than ever, think collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Yes. And I was always the person, even in Virginia, I was the one who would volunteer for the weird projects and would get to do those on, on my own. I got out to California. I was a department of one. So I'm like, okay, I'm in my element me and my students against the world that's not how it has to be all the time there's sometimes where it is that there's sometimes where i have to stand up and say you know this is wrong for my students and it's going to be changed or else bad things will happen and then there's other times where i say you know we can do this a little bit better here's my knowledge give me yours let's find out how to make this work and i've gotten a lot more done with that than the proverbial storm in the castle Right, right. Wow. Excellent. So, Kobe, can you can you tell the listeners a little bit about projects you've got going on now or maybe anything in the near future we could keep an eye out for? We are on our campus. We are pushing a lot towards um, our I said our next year is going to be a lot more focused on 
being a more military inclusive campus. You know, we've kind of figured out our population. I figured out our institution. A lot of the problems that existed when I came there, we've solved them. And just about everyone has said, you know, a far cry from where this was when we got here. Great, that's good. Now let's look outward at the rest of the campus. Our community is good. Our community is strong. We've built a support network of military affiliated faculty and staff as well. They've been very supported. So now let's start to look at the entire campus and see what we can do to make the campus more inclusive. We're pulling in a lot of the work of Glenn Phillips and his work on veteran critical theory, which is something I've referred to a lot in my presentations and in my work and just looking at, you know, Diversity is the big buzzword, inclusion, equity. We're talking about all of these topics now. And I tell people, you know, I've asked, when you think of a veteran, what do you see? Uh, generally an older white male from Vietnam. Okay, this population is entirely different. I told our faculty senate not too long, if you throw out the name of a history month, I have a student who can come into your class and talk about it. You can talk about their military experience. You can talk about their experiences as a family member. And that's what we're beginning to highlight at UT Tyler, just taking all of the work that's being done around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and starting to pull in military-connected students into those discussions where we've historically been left out of a lot. Precisely, precisely. I'm glad you're talking about this because <clears throat> number one, your approach is, is dead on. You've got to have all stakeholders on a campus involved for it to truly become veteran inclusive, right? But that starts with getting the mindset correct and, and building that off ideas like uh, intercultural competency and like veteran critical theory and, and these things that highlight Precisely, you know, active duty military and veterans only comprise about 7% of the population. Veterans, depending on who you talk to, like 2 to 4% of the overall population. So right off the bat, we're a minority, right? And we're a very diverse minority. But as you pointed out, a lot of the public still thinks in terms of the old white guy with like the Korean War hat or the Vietnam hat on, you know, um, I don't know, parade on the weekend, you know, and they don't, they're not paying attention to the fact that the United States military is really the petri dish of the entire United States. And we have increasing number of females and female veterans, people of color, people from other nationalities, you know? And that's one of the things. So this is good work because it's, it's like a double layer of intercultural competency, right? Because we've got our first of just being military that has a whole unique lifestyle. And then we have all the other cross sections that people bring to the table. Right. Glenn um, Phillips talks in veteran critical theory you know, not fully military anymore, but not fully civilian either. We're going to carry both of those identities and they both show up in my work. And I have learned, thankfully, you know, sometimes I need to be more civilian. Sometimes I need to be more military. Right. Sometimes I can be both. 
can be equally effective. And I've, I have finally learned, and again, it took me going halfway across the country to learn this, you know, being fully military in higher education does not work. Yeah, right. Being fully, being fully civilian, working with a military population also does not work. You know, there's a balance to be struck between those two. It's taken me 11 years, and I think I've found it. There you go. There you go. Yeah, sometimes it does take a while, right? And, and like you said, yeah. sometimes it takes a while because it is very situational, right? Because you, you, you kind of have to learn where and when you can pull and what aspects and, and what things you can reference and what experiences you can share or not share or how to go about getting things done. Like there are so many different situations that we encounter daily that sometimes it, it, it does take a while to, to shift those gears. And I will definitely say, you know, over the last year, you know, I my non-existent transition experience, you know, even in part of that, I've had to learn how to just take care of myself. What I thought it would took, what I thought it took to get to the point of now being the director, I'm realizing and I'm seeing and I'm working with the VA on how much of a toll that took on my body plus with my military service. And so, you know, again, that military mindset, we're resilient, we're strong, we're gonna suck it up, we're gonna push through. Yeah, after 16 years of that, it wears on you a lot. So, you know, I've spent the last year going all the way back to the beginning, doing my disability stuff with the VA because nobody told me, hey, you should probably do this on your way out the door. Right. And so just getting to where now it's, you know, that's something else I've learned. So I tell my students and especially my students' parents who come in, I want to send my daughter to school. Do I have anything for her? Well, do you have a disability rating? No. Okay, let's talk about that first because you need that for your. And I have people who tell tell me, "Oh, I worked on jets. I was. I sat at a desk. I have my rating. You're going to go do that. I'm going to take care of your student." Because, you know, it's all one big thing. You know, we talk a lot about pushing through and sucking it up, but there's an element of taking care of yourself that I've learned over the last year has to be done or else I won't be around to take care of my family, much less my students. So, you know, trying to find all of that and pull it together has kind of gotten me to the point where, you know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, having great fun, the family is taken care of, my students are taken care of. I have no complaint. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kobe, I want to be mindful of your time and, and I really appreciate you being on today and sharing your experiences with us and all the different schools and, you know, the different feeling at the school and kind of the different demographics at all the different schools has been very enlightening. And, uh, and, you know, anything you want to share with the audience, we'll definitely add it to the website and to the LinkedIn post when this comes out. And just uh, thank you so much for being part of the show. You know, you do still have to yell at me for one thing, and I'm going to test your memory on this one. We met at 
Oh man, it was. I think it was BCME. Was it CCME or NASA? I think it was CCME. At uh, were you at the CCME in Philadelphia? No, it was NASA in Seattle. No, I've never been there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we met somewhere. I don't remember where. And at the time, I was working on my doctorate. And I was surprised I dodged this during this entire conversation. You told me you were going to say on me about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've been really quiet about that. <laughs> I am looking to pick it back up now that I have been told by my family I am not allowed to look at any more jobs, <laughs> which was a lot having to do with it you know even doing this interview when i said i have an interview my daughter kind of freaked out and looked at me it's um, she's like where are we going dad (laughs) (laughs) but that is that is something i'm looking to pick back up in the next year because you know it's time i'm in a better place mentally and physically where i can dedicate the time to it so yeah it's time so i'll be picking that back up eventually here pretty soon Okay, well, you know, I I see some of your social media activity and everything, and I hadn't seen you mention it, so I'm writing this down. Now you can't escape. (laughs) And and, and then the next time you're on, we're going to talk about how you got it done. How about that? Exactly. We could talk about that next time. All right, perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Kobe, thank you so, so much for being with us. And as the listeners just heard, they can expect to hear from me again in the future. Uh, Thanks for being part of the show, sir. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dr. McLeese with Veterans and Academics. Today, our host, our guest, excuse me, has been Kobe Dillard of the University of Texas and Tyler. And we appreciate all of your support and all of your uh, patronage for the show. Thanks, and until next time, veterans and academics. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans and Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McLeese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.